The Health Hour with Dr. Jonathan Witt. I'll be with you for the next hour today. Sorry, I don't know if you heard me in the first bit there. Um, a good show lined up today. So uh, we're going to speak to Catherine shortly from the Times, discuss the health news. Uh, and then uh, a guest in studio, uh, a psychiatrist. Um, so, uh, you know, she's just watching me, seeing, you know, what elements I have of, of uh, mental uh, disorder. So she'll diagnose me at the end of the show. Um, but uh, more talking about kids and uh, a lot of uh, diagnosis, diagnoses they get these days and, and all the medication they're on. Um, but uh, before we get there, let's uh, start the show off. Uh, health news as we do every week. Uh, and Catherine Child from The Times is on the line. Catherine, how are you? I'm great. A little bit nervous that there's a psychiatrist listening. She can't <laughs> read your mind. No, they, they're just normal people. Uh, all right, so um, let's, uh, let's talk about this news. We've got a bit of a mess at the, at the military hospital. Is this the one in Pretoria? The one in Pretoria that was supposed to treat presidents, as you know, didn't treat presidents. Mm. Well, they go, to pri- they go to private hospitals, uh, not, not, not the one that's basically designed for them. Well, not only them going to private hospitals, the army, the very defense force members that this hospital is supposed to treat yeah. are going to private hospitals, which the army is now paying for. They spent almost 300 million rand last year paying for the people who they were supposed to treat to go elsewhere. <laughs> this is one more in Victoria. And of course, they've still got their running expenses anyway. So you probably got doctors sitting there not doing much. Absolutely. They're paying staff to be there, and then they're paying other staff at other hospitals to do the same job. And they were given 120 million rand five years ago to renovate and sort out the hospital. But <laughs> clearly that hasn't worked. Is it, isn't it a confidence thing, though? Is it, is, it, is it not just a case of, well, the hospital's there, the doctors are there ready and waiting, so are the nursing staff, but, you know, the, the, the patients don't want to go there. I mean, we've, we've got the example set by our own sort of ministers and our, our own uh, 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 diplomats that uh, is, they don't go there. But it sounds like from the reporting that they're not able to do certain things. So because of the renovations not going ahead properly, there's not enough space and they haven't been able to do x-rays and they haven't been oh, able to really? help people give birth. So, so they've actually had to say, look, go we elsewhere. need to go to another hospital. Wow. All right. Well, uh, we can hope that gets sorted out soon, but I, I'm, I'm not that hopeful given... Uh um, government's track record. Um, but uh, talking about uh, money, uh, the TAC is on the verge of shutting down. I think they have been for a, for a while now. And uh, They have been. They want 10 million rand and they started their crowdfunding campaign yesterday, which okay. is basically asking you and I to go to their website and donate. Okay. They had Desmond Tutu. Um, well, he's always, he's always been an ardent supporter of theirs. I mean, he, you know, he was uh, along with them supporting for the uh, the change in policy with regards to ALVs. He has been, and they've done great work. But the question is, what are they doing now? They got new ALVs to people in 2004, and they changed the epidemic in this country. Mm. And now we have, I don't know, 2 million people on treatment. But they don't really, they don't have money, and I think they also need a reason to exist, to be honest. So... And I'm very glad you raised that because it's a controversial point, but it's uh, entirely relevant. What is their reason to exist according to them? Their reason to exist is that there's still treatment stockouts, which we know. There are still people who should be on antiretrovirals who can't get them regularly, which is not great for their health. Mm. And they want to exist to ensure that these people get treatment as they should and to fight the government who, as we've heard with one more, can't seem to do their job. And <laughs> 
Get medicine to the people who need it every single month. Seems a bit counterproductive, though, because there are a number of uh, organizations which are now set up entirely as ARV and HIV treatment organizations, which would probably do a bit of a better job because they're involved in that space, not only from an activism side of things, but also uh, in actually supplying uh, treatment. Well, the Treatment Action Campaign might argue a lot of their members are in the community. I mean, they're the mm. people living in the Eastern Cape. They're the ones having to use the services. They're the ones waiting for their OVs, and a lot of them, I hear, are quite resistant to first-line medication and are on second-line medicine, which is very expensive. So they are the ones at the call face, and they argue that they need to exist, and we need to pay for them. Yeah, you know it's interesting though. I mean, if they if they really need to exist, and 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 look, hopefully they do raise their ten million this time. But uh, my one point would be uh, an issue of sustainability. So if you raise your ten million this time, you really shouldn't be coming back in two or three years and going, "We need another ten million." Because if you're not sustainable, then you probably shouldn't really be around because if you were, you probably would be able to get the funding you needed. And we we see that with many of the other um, non-profits uh, with regards to health. Well, that's not entirely fair. I mean, they've been supported by the British government and that pulled their funding and I don't think they saw it coming. So they've mm. been sustainable all this time. Mm. Foreign donors pulled out and now... Now they're in a tough, they don't know tough what to spot. Do, and they're probably going to be asking for money in a year's time. <laughs> All right, well, we wait and see with them. With regards to HIV, though, uh, there's uh, a lot of hype. Um, we were discussing it uh, in email with regards to uh, an HIV cure. Uh, and, uh, you know, people love stories like this. What's the, what's the detail? Like Headline writers love the word cure, and it annoys me intensely. We are years and years and years and years away from anything. Mm-hmm. But there were two French scientists who or a whole bunch of French scientists who've discovered two French men who are controlling their virus without needing medication, and they looked at the genetic makeup of the HIV virus in that person's body, and they looked at the, this is not all I understand, they looked at the genes of the people, and they can now explain why these two specific men don't need antiretrovirals. It's the same as the prostitutes in West Africa, surely. It's It's the same, and French people are studying those too, they're basically looking at the elite controllers, which are the less than 1% of all people who have HIV, that for whatever reason don't need medication to stop the virus replicating. Yeah. But and every little thing they find is helpful for a cure one day, but it's, it's not a cure, and the hype is very annoying. So the hype is, is the hype basically around gene therapy, and, and in theory, if you could activate these genes in other people, you could control it. I don't even think they go so far. I think they're just saying... Well, <laughs> let's see. We know why it works in two people. Let's see what it's going to show. We can replicate so it in, one in, day. in tens of millions. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, that's uh, that's that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I, I, as I, I tend to agree with you, I, I think it's uh, way too early to say anything near cure. Um, what's uh, happening with this legislation government wants to pass with regards to new medical devices? Oh, my goodness. The government that can't run military hospitals or give people ARVs wants to do more legislating. So medicines are regulated, which is probably a good thing. And now they want to regulate all the equipment that you use in hospitals. So whether that's a big MRI or something in the lab. And that means anything that's being imported into the country or a new device that a private hospital wants to offer its patients needs to go to regulation, which is a good idea. But 
if it takes four to five years to bring a new medicine into South Africa to get it regulated, then you have to ask what is going to happen to all the new equipment we want. Yeah. And uh, and and I, I would assume that uh, it's also going to create a lot of redundancy. So every CT scanner needs to be approved. You can't just approve the general concept of a CT scanner. You know what? We don't actually know. The bill was quite vague. I think that's one of the, the problems. There were hearings last week in Parliament to say, well, when is this bill going to become law? And what is a medical device? So it's vague in what they want to regulate and how, which in itself is a problem. And industry saying, come on, this is going to take years and you don't have oh and then the department of health admitted that they don't have the skills to regulate this <laughs> the people sitting regulating medicine know about that but they don't necessarily know about the equipment is, being used is there the any logical reason being cited for this because normally with the health minister he he, he sort of goes all right i want to regulate uh, you know sugar uh, and uh, that's because we're obese and and we have a lot of diabetes um, is there is there any good reason? I mean, I, I'm not aware of any cases where you know some private hospital has used some random device and killed a whole bunch of people. Is is you know is there a good reason for this? It's part of the whole legislation that was proposed last year. They want to regulate all the herbal crap on our shelves, but we don't know what's in it. And they decided to include medical devices, but I'm not entirely sure why. Yeah, now, some of that herbal stuff probably does kill people, but a hospital is not about to buy something. It's going to kill people because they'll get sued. I think there's also a reality to it, which is, you know, it's it's probably easy to regulate a large hospital group um, and and what they put into their hospitals. But uh, some uh, guy who's, I don't know, doing some random testing where you hold two levers and it tells you how much energy there is in your body and then he gives you a whole bunch of stuff to to take, uh, how are they going to regulate that, doing that in his lounge? It's, uh, It's kind of odd. So <laughs> They need more staff. That's the problem, and they don't have them. And so I think the ultimate concern is the patient who goes to hospital who hopes that that hospital has the best equipment for them is maybe not going to get that best equipment if it's waiting for regulation and it's taking years. And I think that's, that's the big concern Shame. now. So short-sighted, short-sighted. Now, listen, while we're on the subject of short, um, another one of those ridiculous studies where um, they give probably men like me a hard time, um, I'm going to become demented at some point, apparently. Well, yeah, men don't want to be short, and now there's another reason. Yeah, <laughs> apparently, for every five centimeters down you go, but they don't tell you... The down from where? Point. Oh, they don't tell you yeah, the starting exactly. point. Okay, all right. So, it doesn't help me. But anyway, if you're not that <laughs> tall, for every five centimeters shorter, you have a 25% bigger risk of going crazy when you're old. And, and this is a study from the University of Edinburgh. Yeah. And... They're just saying it's better to be tall, which isn't much help for people like you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, assuming I'm the five centimeters or more, or less than the, the the starting point. Who knows? They they might have done it on Japanese people. You know, <laughs> then, maybe I, then I could be already. okay. Um, Your guests can tell you. Maybe <laughs> I have dementia already, but uh, I think I'm okay. I'm not. Di- I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm promoting any fad diet, so I, I should be okay at the moment. Catherine, yeah. let's leave it there. I'll uh, chat to you next week. Thanks so much. Have a great week. You too. Eh? Cheers. Eh? Bye. Right. So um, thanks to Catherine Child from the Times. Um, that's your health news for the week. We're going to take a short break. And when I come back, uh, my guest in studio is Dr. Leila Paruk. Uh, and she's a psychiatrist. And uh, we're going to be chatting about kids, ADHD, and all the medicines they take.
Hour. Uh, was that a was that a kid singing that, uh, Duncan? Yeah. yeah. My controller tells me so. That's that's really appropriate. Um, maybe he has ADHD. Uh, right. So uh, in studio, uh, Dr. Leila Peruk. Have I pronounced that correctly? Yes, you have. All right. Perfect. Um, right. You're a psychiatrist. Uh, we were just yeah. discussing off air at my um, uh, not great knowledge of psychiatry, but it's uh, it's it's actually a problem in in you know most doctors. We 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 get a little bit of it. And we have a very basic understanding, um, but the nuances are left up to you guys. Well, I think, Jonathan, that you've hit the nail on the head. I think particularly with our topic today, ADHD, um, it is a diagnosis that's, that's very topical and controversial. And as we were talking earlier, everyone has an opinion about it. <laughs> um, but it is a diagnosis that's probably best left to the the experts, and I don't just mean psychiatrists, but probably child psychiatrists. Sure. So mm. it's actually almost a super specialized thing. It is. Um, and uh, how many child psychiatrists <laughs> are there? Not many, unfortunately. Um, you know, the, the adult attention deficit disorder is um, 
is quite common, particularly in, in male young children, and mm. it, it goes on to adulthood. Um, and the child psychiatrists in this, in the city and elsewhere are, are, are oversubscribed. There's too few of them. But I do think it's important to get the assessment right. And then the, the chronic kind of follow-up care can be managed by, by your general practitioner. But, sure. but, but that's the original diagnosis. Yeah. All right. So, Let's talk about the diagnosis. There's a new mm. DSM, which I haven't <laughs> actually even looked at, to be honest. Um, and although I did go look up Oscar's diagnosis, you know. Um, <laughs> like everyone. <laughs> indeed. Mm. Um, but uh, what are we, how are we diagnosing a, a kid if, uh, with, so, with AD? So ADD? luckily, the, the new DSM, the DSM-5, hasn't really moved much from DSM-4 with particular, you know, with ADD. But essentially, there's there's three types of attention deficit disorder there's your hyperactive subtype mm. there's your inattentive subtype and then there's your mixed subtype with features from both the hyper hyperactive and inattentive groups okay so so that's really when you hear people saying attention add and adhd that's, that's really where the, the difference. difference okay yeah and that's where the difference comes <laughs> all right so so um what do, what is the difference? Uh, is it just as simple as the, the hyperactivity? Well, well, essentially, the hyperactive subtype is is more the the motor, the motor, the motor problem. So, so mm. the child or the adult is fidgety, restless, moves a lot, often falling out of trees or getting into car accidents, <laughs> okay. broken bones, um, can't sit still. Whereas okay. the inattentive is your daydreamer, doesn't listen. You, th- these are the words you'll hear being bandied about in school reports by the teacher, um, that sort and, of thing. And, and if and um, you really are hated by you know um, <laughs> a, a higher being, then uh, then essentially you get the both. The mixed subtype, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is yeah. your punishment. Okay, so a kid who doesn't can't pay attention, not doesn't can't pay attention, exactly. and and also is all over the place, running around and, and absolutely un- 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 uncontrollable. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's quite important to remember that. ADD is, is, is not a function of intelligence. So it has very little to do with IQ. Mm. However, children can perform poorly on, on testing and in school as a result of the ADD, which, which underestimates their IQ or which drops their, their, mm. their score on their IQ test because. And then probably disadvantages mm. them. Absolutely. From a bias perspective. Yes. Yeah. So, so these are the children who in their school reports are not achieving potential, can do better, mm. that sort of thing. Sure. Okay. So, um, what are, what's normally the the first sign that mm. uh, that you know the child's? Well, the diagnosis is is in theory made after the age of six. However, at at Baragwanas Hospital, for example, we have an under six ADD clinic where on one Wednesday a month, all the children under six in Soweto with ADD come through. It's great fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, and and uh, these are the children who who it's 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 diagnosed most easily around, uh, when they're in a classroom setting because there's a baseline for which the teacher can compare mm. in terms of the child's motor behavior, their ability to to finish tasks on time along with the rest of the class, um, and to to keep on track with where the class is going. Sure. All right. So, so usually by teachers, except that mm. sometimes can create an, an issue. I, I mean, I, I know uh, parents have said to me before, um, you know, they, they feel that the teacher's pushing their child to get a diagnosis of ADD um, because uh, they've got a difficult child or their child is a little bit boisterous. Um, and, you know, they feel that, that the, the, there's a push to kind of get the kid onto medicines that'll just subdue them. 
So remember, according to our esteemed American colleagues who write the DSM, yeah. um, the, the, diagno- the, the, the symptoms need to be present in at least two settings. So home and school, right. um, you know, home and aftercare. So if, so if the teacher's coming, but then we, if the teacher's coming and saying something that's not happening anywhere else, then, you know, something's exactly. off. Exactly. Um, but also, I suppose there's the other side of the coin, and before I give the teachers alone a hard time, <laughs> parents um, might also be uh, ignoring some of the signs. Yes, it's a combination of both, and that's where that initial assessment becomes the most important, because as well as being uh, listening, uh, the, the psychiatrist listening to the subjective account of, of the teacher and the parent, because we get reports from teachers, reports from parents, um, it's also making an objective assessment. So, so the clinician also has a responsibility to see what they observe in the room, and, and using your expect, expertise, you also have to objectively assess the child. Okay. Um, all right, so... so Fine, this, this child is now uh, not paying attention in class. Maybe he's uh, the mixed type, so he's, he's also um, not paying attention falling in class and trees. then falling out of trees and mm-hmm. crashing his car. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, and, the, and the diagnosis is now made. Um, before we start doping him, <laughs> and I know it's one of the major tools that psychiatrists use, and, and you guys are often, I think, unfairly criticized for it. Um, because, you know, I'm, from my perspective, any psychiatric disorder is, is, is an issue in the brain. Um, and, uh, you, you, you need to treat it and treating it is, is a chemical process. Um, but part of it's a chemical process, not all of it. But, um, is there anything that can be done before we start medicating little Johnny? Well, absolutely. Um, it's just one prong in the arsenal of treatment that, that any good clinician should offer. Mm. Um, and that involves, that involves a whole lot of lifestyle modification in terms of establishing structure and routine and discipline. Isol- and I don't mean beating the child up. <laughs> but no. I, mean, I mean every child and every adult responds well to, to having a structured day. Mm. Um, and, and, and often that's usually lacking in, in children who present with, with behavioral or attention uh, difficulties. So it's about helping with the use of, a, of an ADD coach or an op- occupational therapist or a psychologist. It's about helping the parents to more effectively manage the child's time and teaching the, the child, depending on the child's age, if mm. they're teenagers, skills to manage their day in a, in a more efficient way. So that's one aspect. Another aspect is exercise, which I think with all psychiatric um, disorders, um, we, we often underestimate the value of. Mm. So, so there's exercise, been some good research into this as well, I think. Absolutely, and not just um, and not just um, cardio, but also strength training really? um, has been shown to have a, a positive impact on mood, as well as you know your ability to sleep better, and your brain is is able to shut down. Sure. Exercise um, is the, part of the solution for everything. Actually. It, it is, and I think you know, I I'm often finding myself prescribing it on the script and then that gives patients the idea of just how important yeah. it is. The doctor says you must do this. <laughs> My doctor says I must. And also checking the follow-up, you know, monitoring that exercise, not just saying off you go exercise and bye. It's about, it's about you know, maintaining that. And then the other thing is diet. And I, I do think sometimes on the inverted commas, capital letters, internet <laughs> diet, uh, <laughs> um, people, you know, make a big deal about it, like you can cure ADD with a diet, and that's probably not true. But I do think if you manage the child's glucose and insulin levels, you will, you will you know, maintain the child's mood and better stability yeah, through the day. So, yeah, so, so those are all the things that I would do in conjunction with medication. 
Cool. All right. Well, that's. I mean, that's that's great. It it gives a it gives an approach, and I think uh, for for people who are listening, either who have kids like this, if if that hasn't happened, um, or or, uh, or or who are worried about this kind of stuff, it's good to know that you know there are other avenues. What I think might be happening, and I was we were discussing it a bit before the show, is you know I'm I'm seeing kids uh, uh, who uh, present in my practice. Uh, be it for other things, but I asked them what medication they're on. And I'm finding, you know, sort of seven, eight-year-olds on very, very, very strong antipsychotics, um, on all kinds of strong medications um, that I'm very surprised to, to find a kid taking. Um, you know, I think firstly what's happening is a lot of the time they're going to the GP, and the GP is in the, to the best of their ability trying to help the parents and the child. Um, but perhaps not always correctly. Um, and uh, then the other side is just a question from me, which is do kids need to be on these medications. I mean, some I think of this it goes stuff back is, to, is hectic. I think it does go back to that original who's doing the assessment. And that assessment also involves inquiring about the home circumstances, the parents, their, their, their means of relating, engaging with their children, engaging with each other, the, the temperature of the house, you know. And if there's a problem with that, then then you have to solve that, and you can't solve that with medication. Mm. The flip side of that coin is that I do think that there are a lot of children who are probably on on medication that they don't need. Mm. Yet in my adult practice, I meet many adults who are either undiagnosed ADD or diagnosed as children whose parents refuse to give them the medication that they required, okay. who whose lives have have been negatively impacted. Sure. Which is, is quite sad. Because almost. as you mentioned, it's not an IQ impact. But no. if you spend three years at school not paying attention, then yes. it's not that you're stupid. It's just that you haven't got the knowledge so your foundation disappears. And but, then you do battle. And the biggest problem with that is, is, is your, the rest of your mental health, your confidence, your belief in yourself. Because if you're constantly the one who's being shouted at for not keeping up in the class, you're going to fall back. You're going to think less of yourself. You're going to start hanging out with the guys behind the toilet and starting to smoke, yeah. which is a gateway to many other substances. I've met the vast majority of, of substance abusers. Well, not the vast majority, but a large mm. proportion of substance abusers are, are often untreated ADD um, who, 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 who almost self-medicate and have, have fallen into substance abuse as a result of being untreated. Wow. Okay, so that's, I mean, that's a whole problem on its own. Absolutely. Um, we'll get to substances later because <laughs> I want to pick your brain on it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's very topical at the moment. Um, but, um, all right, some of the, some of the medications, there's a question that's come through, which is, uh, whatever happened to Ritalin? I mean, I can answer that question, which is that Ritalin is very much still around. It's not uh, going anywhere. Abused yeah. by medical students the world over. Vitamin R. Uh, yes, vitamin R. Um, and uh, firstly, look, Ritalin, there were and are still health concerns. And unfortunately, if you search Ritalin on the Internet, you're going to get a capital whole bunch letters. of uh, yeah, the Internet capital letters, <laughs> inverted commas. Yes. Um, you're going to get a whole bunch of horror stories about how Ritalin is going to kill your child. Um, and certainly if, if, if your child has been diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, you, you may very well have Ritalin prescribed. There are other medications. Perhaps we want to mention them so we don't <laughs> side on any one drug. Um, tell us a bit more about the drugs. So there's two large groups of medication that you would use to, to treat attention deficit 
disorders once you've diagnosed them appropriately. <laughs> um, and those are the stimulants and the non-stimulants. So the stimulants are largely methylphenidate, of mm-hmm. which Ritalin is one of them. Yeah. And the difference between them, so Ritalin, long-acting Ritalin Concerta, is, is, is merely just how long they last in your, in your body. Okay. So between 4 and 12 hours, depending on which preparation you are given or choose to take. And that's usually decided in terms of the age of the person and, and how long their, their, their work day lasts. And safety of those drugs, the methylphenidates? Well, the, the, the funny thing about methylphenidate is that it's, it's one of the oldest psychiatric medications. It's about 100 years old. And because of its relatively short half-life, it's very predictable. So you take it at 8 o'clock in the morning, and by 12 o'clock, it's out your system if you're taking the four-hour yeah, preparation. Think, yeah. And, the, you know, if I have to do a blood test at 1 o'clock, there would be nothing left. Yeah. So so there's, 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 there's very few risks related to them, unless, of course, you know, you, you, you use them inappropriately, like you start injecting them, of course, you're going to cause problems. <laughs> sure. But when taken... But if, if your six-year-old is using hypodermic needles <laughs> to inject his Then you've got bigger problems. You have a bigger problem than <laughs> yeah. ADHD. Absolutely. Um, so, so they're actually one of the safest classes of drugs around, to be honest, probably mm. safer than antibiotics and antidepressants. Okay. And, uh, yeah. and, I mean, as I always tell people, every drug has side effects. So, yes, absolutely. you know, there's a very small percentage of the population that are going to suffer with side effects and some severe side effects in even smaller percentage of the, the population. The two commonest questions I get asked are, doctor, is my child going to become addicted to cocaine? And the second question is, doctor, is my child going to become a zombie? Um, <laughs> really? Absolutely, yeah. And the answer obviously is no to both. Well, the cocaine answer is that Ritalin and all the stimulants, they do increase your, body, your brain's availability of dopamine, which is what cocaine does. However, Ritalin and other methylphenidate preparations are probably about one thousandth of the amount of dopamine that cocaine, cocaine releases in your which body. Which is why you get a high from cocaine and not from Ritalin. Yes, absolutely. And, and there, there shouldn't be a high that anyone gets from, from methylphenidate. And if they are getting a high, then they're taking way too much. <laughs> All right, good. So... Um, Please do not rush your doctor and ask for way too much Ritalin. <laughs> um, all right, so that's the one side. The other, the other spectrum of, of pharmaceuticals. So the, the non-stimulant drugs are, are are certain antidepressants which which have a stimulant effect. Things like Wellbutrin and Statera, and 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 so those you take kind of more long term. You see the effects more long term, and those drugs are, are more useful for. For those people who have a com- an anxiety comorbidity, so, okay. so so that I use them quite often in that varsity student who's who's got ADD as a teenager, but now the stakes are high at varsity. They've become very anxious because their careers depend on it, um, and Statera and 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 things like Wellbutrin work quite nicely for, for 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 giving the stimulant and also managing the anxiety. Okay, and obviously all that coping mechanisms and and Absolutely. other things we discussed, the exercise, etc. Yeah. Sure. All right. So. So those are the, the sort of medications. Um, obviously, you know, the, the other medications I'm talking about have probably been um, prescribed for, for something else that was seen in the kid. Oh, yes. Um, what are, let's just touch on it quickly. What are some of the other relatively common psychiatric issues um, in, in younger children? So, so what's very common in young children is anxiety. And, and the symptoms of anxiety and, and attention deficit disorders 
sometimes look alike. Especially the younger the kid because they don't because express they can't themselves. Talk yeah. and, and they can't tell you I'm feeling like this. So, mm. so that agitation, that difficulty concentrating, um, all those things can, can sometimes look like inattention, but it's actually that the child is very anxious. But coming back to that original very important assessment that you have to wait four months to see a psychiatrist for. Yeah. Um, it, it's really quite important to, to rule out anxiety and or treat the anxiety. Yes. The way you treat anxiety in children is, is with, with therapy and with medication. The medication is antidepressants, anxiolytics, um, uh, you were talking to me earlier about seeing children on antipsychotics, and usually children are put on antipsychotics for behavioral control. So essentially you're sedating the child. Um, not solving the problem, though. Not, not necessarily solving yeah. the problem. I mean, there are some children who do probably need behavioral control chemically, but but those would be the absolute ra- last resort. So those children yeah. who have learning difficulties, who are, who are maybe... Um, you know, have low IQ, who have other congenital disorders. This is like the really point zero zero one percent. Yeah, and also, you know, obviously the the very small percentages who have um, sort of psychiatric disturbances which are making them burn down the house and stuff like that. So, so the conduct disorders yeah, of the world, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> those, but they are rare. They are, you know. They, they, they should be very, very they should rare. Be, they should be rare. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, okay, so that gives us quite a spectrum. Um, and I think that just shows the point of what you're saying, which is an assessment so so important to decide is this ADD, is this a child who's an- anxious, and, and the treatment's essentially somewhat different. Absolutely. Um, and, and the assessment's so po- important. Um, let's take a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll continue our chat. Clipcentral.com.
So back on the health hour, and um, if you haven't been listening, we're discussing uh, ADD and uh, the medication of kids, some of the differentials, so what else your child might suffer from. Uh, if you do want to give us a call, our number is 0861-555-189, and you can also obviously send a message straight into studio using WeChat, the Cliff Central ID. Uh, we do have a question about, uh, is there really such a thing as Tourette syndrome? Someone, uh, someone who's, uh, uh, watched, uh, South Park, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and wants to know about that. I mean, yes, of course there is a Tourette syndrome. Um, you want to talk a bit about it? Cause it's not just someone swearing and it's not the, just the funny stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, in psychiatry, we refer to them more commonly as tick disorders and they can be motor or vocal. So the the one that you see on TV a lot is obviously the vocal form of the tic disorder, but more commonly are the other motor forms with shoulder shrugging or arms moving. Um, vocal tics are, are usually throat cl- throat clearing or um, grunts or yeah. vocalizations that that are, uh, are not controllable by the patient who suffers mm. from them. Yeah, so I mean, they that does happen. Is is it? It is something usually seen. In kids, and then and then obviously and carries on into adult, adult life. It's, it's a strongly um, it's a strongly familial heritability. So it's usually fathers and sons, hmm. um, and it's commonly comorbid, believe it or not, with ADD. So so the common triad is OCD, tic disorders, and ADD, and it's a particularly difficult uh, combination of of illnesses to treat. Sure. So let's talk about the OCD then quickly, because <laughs> since you opened the the, the, the Pandora's box, I guess. Yeah. Um, you you know, so obviously there's that tic disorders side of things, and mm-hmm. and and then ADD as you mentioned, and then um, the um, sorry, my train has gone off and I've lost it. Um, we should have brought some Ritalin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, with the OCD with the OCD side of things, you see that manifesting a lot in in kids, and and whereabouts, what age? OCD usually presents quite commonly in childhood, um, between the ages of seven and ten. And it, it often uh, follows um, a streptococcal infection of the throat. Mm. And those are known as PANDAS. Um, it's, an, it's an acronym for pediatric autoimmune something. Uh-huh. Okay. And, um, it's which, interesting that it's virally, very, virally which, mediated. Which is very interesting because um, in the past, OCD was thought to be, Freud used to call it the royal road to the unconscious. But now we know that OCD and tic disorders and even ADHD are neuropsychiatric disorders. So, you know, the fascinating relationship between the brain and the mind mm. and, and how those two things relate. 50 years ago, psychiatrists and neurologists never spoke to each other. But now our jobs are, are actually becoming... Oh, part of your training is together absolutely, to become a psychiatrist yeah. in the first place. Absolutely. And so now we... we we, whether we like it or not, have to kind of <laughs> work with them, <laughs> work with each work other, work with those darn physicians. <laughs> yes. So, um, and and the way that we know this is because of um, 
functional imaging. So now we're able to take pictures of the brain while the brain is working. Yeah, so those are those, those colored MRIs you yes. see. You know, they, they sh- this is your brain on coffee or whatever it is. You yeah, know, so, so now we can see. So if, if you... If you're depressed or if you have ADD, different bits of the brain light up differently. And mm. so we can prove almost to the the, the naysayers of psychiatry that <laughs> our disorders are quite real. Okay. And uh, the the treatment of OCD, I mean some of the some of the ADD drugs must be part of part of that. Um, not really. Some okay. of the, um, in terms of the tic disorders, the ADD drugs can sometimes worsen them, which is what makes the the treatment oh, so really? difficult. And then the, the, oh yeah, because it would be in the increased dopamine. Yeah, so sure. it, it worsens the movements and things. But um, in terms of OCD, it's it's usually high doses of of SSRIs, of serotonergic agents, mm. along with a bit of dopamine blocking. Okay. Um, and then what we call cognitive behavioral therapy. So if you've got this triad, you it's, really it becomes very difficult you, to treat. You, you keep your psychiatrist humble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Um, it's uh, that's a lot on the on the on the kids. Let's just talk about. Uh, we discussed a little bit during the break. Um, you know that everyone becomes an adult. We yeah. hope. Um, and, and children with ADD don't disappear when they turn eighteen. They become adults. Yeah, they become adults with ADD. And, and we were just discussing. You know, I was just saying that I think uh, I think about uh, my my personal friend group uh, myself, um, and that features. You know, in keeping with with ADD, um, you know, procrastination and uh, inability to concentrate on things that you really should be concentrating <laughs> on. Um, and you were talking about a spectrum. Yes, ADD certainly exists on a spectrum. So you get varying degrees of severity, like with like with most illnesses, I mm. guess. Um, and and you know the, the the types of ADD that are perhaps not as severe to warrant medication, which once again is decided by that psychiatrist at the first assessment. Um, those respond really well to to kind of managing your life, and as you become an adult, you find that you compensate for your inattention dif- difficulties by by various mechanisms. So, so when I see an adult walk into my rooms and I suspect that they have ADD, invariably they keep lists, lists of lists, often, uh, in order to keep track of their lives. Um, mm. And to to keep it like in an order of of uh, yes. so that it doesn't spiral. Yes, exactly, and 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 often. You know, they people with ADD can be quite impulsive. I, I, I one of the people who who taught me about ADD often <laughs> described it as as a disease where you can't put on brakes. Your brain is unable because remember it's a frontal lobe disorder, and your frontal lobe is responsible for basically telling you what's appropriate and what's not in the way you live your life. Mm. And so ADD is where you you just can't put the brakes on, and. So you have to develop different mechanisms for putting on those breaks, like like pausing, stopping to think before you talk or think before you act, or you know, it becomes that, a conscious uh, control yeah, rather than that unconscious thing. And that's where the the ADD coaches and psychologists come in, where they can help you figure those things out for yourself um, on a non-drug kind of mediation. All right. So for parents who you know, little Johnny was having trouble at school. The teacher saw them. Maybe there's a school counselor, and they they've now gone through this. Um, they've now gone through this uh, whole process, uh, but they went to the GP. The GP made the initial <laughs> assessment. Uh, the GP has, in you know, good faith, tried to put them on something. Uh, they should probably be seeking some other help. Um, certainly, if they can't access a psychiatrist, psychologists can can be very useful. Psychologists can be. 
very useful, particularly at in the ch- children age group, the educational psychologists, because mm. they can do, uh, you know, assessments where certain tests can show up if it's an inattention issue, an anxiety issue, or an IQ issue, and then the psychologists are are then able to to refer onward for medication. But I mean, the whole process can be quite overwhelming and and distressing for parents because mm. I mean, we all want our children to kind of sail through life as smoothly as possible. Yeah. And live their best lives, you know. And so so it can be quite overwhelming and then you turn to the internet for (laughs) um, in capital letters (laughs) inverted commas. commas. And and that can can lead to so much misinformation. So to 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 know where to start and how to navigate through the system can be quite difficult Mm. for a lot of people. Is there a specific way to find a psychiatrist? (laughs) <laughs> um, the South African Society of Psychiatrists has a website And okay. most psychiatrists in this country are listed on it Okay, so that's okay to go to the internet too The, the internet's um, fine for SADAG and SASOP <laughs> Those are the two you're allowed to look for Perfect um, Alright, so look, a, a question which is great Because it leads into what something I wanted to ask you Around uh, the abuse, the substance abuse side of things um, So someone's asked us um, he said he suffered from uh, ADD for most of his life, and he finds uh, marijuana helps him to cope with the anxiety side of things. Um, hasn't asked too much of a question around that, but you did mention it earlier. Um, yes, I find that that's not uncommon. Where AD, if you suffer from ADD and you and you're not treated appropriately. Um, Cocaine can help you focus and feel in control because because people with untreated ADD often feel out of control of their of their minds, mm. and, and cannabis can help feel you, help feel you calm. Um, coffee can help with the focus, so caffeine or high doses of caffeine in the form of energy drinks, and so that's how substance abuse starts, you know. Mm, I mean, you just look for something more a and bit more. better, a bit and cocaine, as you mentioned, a thousand mm. times more potent than the mm. Ritalin type drugs, exactly. methylphenidates. So that is going to help. But it has all the other sort of negative health effects. The problem is that because it's a thousand times more dopamine, your brain is flooded with dopamine and then your your post-high dip, you Mm. get a a post-stimulant depression because Mm. now there's no dopamine left. And that's not so cool to, to have to deal with the next day or the next month or whenever you come. Yeah, and then chronically when once Mm. you're addicted. Um, all right. So just on the substance abuse, if mm. I can pick your brain, because uh, there's a relatively large push in South Africa, and I think it's growing, to legalize a lot of drugs, specifically uh, marijuana. Um, they've just legalized it or they've started the process. I don't know if you saw America voted, had a whole bunch of elections yesterday, and there were referendums. And, and uh a couple of new states, including uh, the District of Columbia, <laughs> where the American government is, um, have voted. Let's make let's make this legal. Um, and without getting into too much of a debate, because I, I, on its own, and I've got to do a show sometime on it, but um, on its own, there's a, there's a lot uh, to argue on both sides. Um, but uh, your opinion on 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 that, because you <laughs> seeing a lot of patients who have substance-induced psychosis who start off smoking marijuana and end up with schizophrenia that they may never have discovered or unearthed, um, put it this way, it would never have affected them probably if they hadn't started on a substance. Well, there's there's plenty of of robust research that shows that the use of of cannabis particularly, so Dachau marijuana, Mm. um, on a young brain, so under the age of 20, 25, can have significant effects on that same brain when they measured the brain at 26. It can double your risk of psychotic illnesses, which is quite significant. Mm. Um, in terms of the legalization issue, 
personally, I'm not so sure, you know, if if making it legal is going to change things at all because accessibility is no problem in this country <laughs> whatsoever. Okay, so if you want it, you can get it. Exactly. I mean, I think everyone pretty much knows that. Um, it's more about all the other, you know, environmental, socioeconomic issues that are, are the problem. That come along and with And the it. problem with legalizing um, or, or, or criminalizing substance, substances is that people the, don't ma- the man help. on the street, people don't seek help, but also the man on the street is, is the one that goes to jail, whereas the dealer is sitting on his island in wow. the Bahamas. So. so I see which side of it you're on, <laughs> so that's perfect. I, and that's fine. I, I mean, and that, no. that's why I say it's a long discussion, you know, in which there are good arguments mm-hmm. on both sides. Um, but certainly there are health considerations. So absolutely. I mean, Dhaka, which is, which is essentially grows free in this country and is very cheap and easily available, causes quite profound mental health disturbances and, and fills up our ward certainly at Barragan that, as you know from your yeah. internship, uh, with, with significant psychiatric psychotic illnesses um, and I, I sometimes wish that, that people saw that but also things like ecstasy I, I see lots of people at my at my private practice who used ecstasy 15 years ago and now have this this deep dark depression that they can't lift themselves out of with with no kind of problem so they come to me and say doctor I'm happy I have a good job I have a pretty wife I have lovely children I have yeah. no problems but I'm just so sad and quite a lot of those people you know, used ecstasy 15 years ago and, sure. and their brains just cannot reclaim the, their serotonin back. Well, it's, that's, uh, that's unbelievable. And we're running out of time, but uh, <laughs> that's an unbelievably interesting statement uh, coming yeah. towards the end of the show. Um, all right. Well, look, I think uh, let's, let's summarize it because we are running out of time. Uh, essentially, if you, if you think your child has uh, ADD, then you should be seeking out a consult, preferably from a child psychiatrist. Yes. Um, so that's, that's your sort of first port of call. Um, and, and preferably a diagnosis made there in the correct manner. Absolutely. Um, and to avoid sort of diagnoses made by a GP who. Well, there are some GPs who have a special interest and in who've, who've built their practices around okay. ADD. And I would imagine they have quite a lot more experience than. Um, a, a GP who doesn't have absolutely a special interest. no, I, and I, yeah. I don't want to give them a bad name at yeah. all. But but find someone who deals who, with this and that who you trust because it is a whole person's life that you're kind of responsible for. Absolutely. Know. So find the right people, get the right assessment, and that's yes. really where it all begins. Absolutely. If you get the right assessment, you probably you probably be okay. Yes. Sure. All right. It so and then that. and then the drugs are okay. The um, drugs are okay if given by the right people at the right doses. Okay. And yeah. monitored. And monitored. All right. So um, uh, don't don't fear the drugs. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm 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 not a skeptic on the drugs. I, I think the drugs are fantastic and they work. But I I do think we have a lot of kids. It's just mm-hmm. such a volume and it's quite scary actually. It it can be, and um, I haven't really looked at statistics and research, but um, yeah, I'm I'm talking anecdotal now. <laughs> yeah, um, but but I mean, I mean, we didn't even touch on the the concept of of stimulants as what we call cognitive enhancers, so help you study better even when you don't have ADD. Yeah, That's a whole other topic. It was the abuse of Ritalin we were talking <laughs> exactly. about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for Layla, having we'll, me. We'll have you again because, as you can see, there's lots to discuss. <laughs> yeah, we've opened so, up many topics. There you go. So, so we'll we'll definitely have you back. Thanks so much for coming in. Take care. Uh, and uh, and uh, great chat on uh, ADD and and all the stuff surrounding it. We we mm. learned we learned a bit. I learned a bit. Oh, um, so that's because uh, you missed that lecture in fifth year. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> next week, uh, we'll be back, uh, same time, 1 to 2 p.m. Cliff Central. And, uh, you obviously can download the podcast. We've had some great shows in the past, uh, few months. So, uh, go back, download the shows. Um, some really excellent discussions with, uh, some top, top specialists. Thanks so much for listening and I'll chat to you next week.